And so what we're going to do this morning is we're continuing our study of the core values of Harvest Liberty Lake Church. We have eight of them listed on our website. We've covered, uh, I believe, five of them. I should actually check. Um, I didn't count in my head. Uh, but we've covered a number of them, and we're going to seek to cover two of them this morning. So your prayers would be appreciated. Um, one of the things that is helpful to do, especially in light of the fact that I didn't count how many we've been through, would be to review some of the core values that we've talked about already. If I was still in a youth ministry setting, this is where I'd have the bucket of candy, and I'd have you guys call out different things and reward you with candy. But for the sake of time, uh, I will just review some of the ones that we've covered already. It's important for us to remember that the core values that are leading and guiding and shaping our ministry are uh, not in necessarily any particular order, but first, gospel centrality, that we want the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to shape all that we do here at Harvest. We've experienced that this morning as we've had a gospel-shaped service coming before the Lord in worship, in confession, in um, communing with him, and now coming under the teaching of his word. We also want to commit as believers in Christ to living a lifestyle of evangelism. You can see that reflected in some of the challenge that we're placing upon you to be thinking about one person to lead or to invite to come to our Easter service. We all want to grow in that area and take one more step of faithfulness in that. We also want to have a core value of personal Bible study. Sermons are great. Teachers are wonderful, but God has given you his spirit to read and to understand and apply God's word for your life. And so we want to equip you to do that personally. We want to be a church that sings together. We have a core value of congregational singing. We talk amongst the worship team that the most important instrument of our worship team is you, the congregation, as we sing together. It's what we were created to do, and it should be our growing joy to do that together. Last week, we talked about the idea and the need to raise up new leaders. We don't want to just come to be filled up, but we want to come and pour ourselves out in service to the Lord and in service to one another. And that can look like a variety of ways. We want to raise up leaders, um, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, Bible study leaders, but really we want to see everybody be faithful with the gifts that God has given them to be good stewards um, and to be involved in serving him. And so this morning, we want to cover two more of our core values. The two core values that I want to talk about this morning are going to be that we desire to have multi-generational relationships. We want to be a diverse church, uh, particularly with regards to our age and demographics and makeup of that. And I'll explain why that is important according to the scriptures in just a moment. But that'll lead us into another core value that we'll have that I will touch on briefly, which is the idea of family worship. We want families to worship together, not just as they gather here, but as they scatter into their homes as well, that we want to equip parents and households to be households of faith and to pass that faith on to future generations. And so time permitting, we'll cover both of these. Uh, I must confess that this week was a rather unique week um, so much of what I'll be doing today is turning into a number of scriptures and reflecting upon some of the principles that we see there. So uh, it may be a bit jumbled at times, but I trust that God will lead and guide me and you as we seek to understand his scriptures this morning. And so let me begin just with this idea of multi-generational relationships. Why would this be a value that we have as a church? Well, there can be a lot of doom and gloom when we consider 
the future of the church, particularly the future of the church here in the West, because if you uh, spend some time looking at the statistics, looking at research, you can't help but be confronted with the idea that generations are moving away from the Lord. Uh, Research from LifeWay and others has shown that 63% of Americans now call themselves Christians as opposed to just uh, back in 2007, 78% of people called themselves Christians. Other research shows that currently 47% of people are a part of a church today as opposed to back in 2000 where 70% of the population was. And so we see this decline happening. Um, And there is reason to take notice of that and ask, are there things that we could be doing to correct that? Um, But one of the trends that is is being most noted here is that this fall-off is happening more and more with younger generations. My own generation, those known as millennials, and the up-and-coming generation, the teenagers now, those moving into young adulthood, Gen Z, are becoming less and less churched. In fact, uh, according to research from Barna, Gen Z, those who are teenagers right now preparing to graduate or just entering college, is in many ways the first majority unbelieving generation in the United States. And so the question that we're faced with is, what do we do with this? You know, the temptation, I think, of many churches and ministries is to do all that they can to reach these younger generations, sometimes to the detriment of maybe older saints as well. That we cater our ministry to age and lifestyles, that we have people segmented in in ministry according to their groups, and you just kind of track along. That's an easy way uh, to form ministry, but really what I have been led to ask is, is it the most effective way? And what is God's ideal-looking church? What is the makeup of what God would want the church to look like? Should we have churches of all those 30 and under and churches for all those 60 and over? Or is there a way and is there a design in God's model for us to come together as God's people, crossing generations and serving and loving one another through the gifts and experience and vitality that we all have with one another? My desire, quite honestly, is for our church to be multi-generational and to reflect the demographics of our community. It was such a joy and a privilege as we were preparing to start Harvest to go into these neighborhoods and knock on doors and invite people to our opening service. And I'll be honest, this community is far more diverse with regards to age than I first expected. That here across this street, there are young families, there are single adults, there are retirees, there are widowers and widows, all right here on our doorstep. And our church, Lord willing, will reach all of them with the good news of the gospel. And so let me read what we have written um, with regards to what we want to have as our core value for multi-generational relationships. I believe you can follow along with me uh, in the, with the screen behind me. But what do we mean by this value? We believe that the church is the healthiest when it con- consists of a diverse group of people, particularly in age. We believe the young are blessed by the wisdom of the older and the older are encouraged by the enthusiasm of the younger. Therefore, ministry should be designed in such a way as to bring people of different age groups and backgrounds together in order to foster cross-generational discipleship relationships. A key text we have for this is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 
through 8. And so for the reading of God's word, if, if you're willing and you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as we read one of the many passages we will read this morning. But Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. The word of God says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of God. You may be seated. And so as we reflect upon this scripture, and as we reflect upon others, there are a few observations that I want us to make. The first is that there is indeed responsibility that older saints have to younger saints. That a responsibility that older believers, those who have walked with the Lord longer, have with regard to those who are just starting their journey of faith. And we ought to know this responsibility and walk faithfully according to what God has called us to do. And so what are those responsibilities? Well, one of the things that I think is clear here in Titus is we all have a responsibility to grow personally in our walk with the Lord. There are a number of character traits that God is desiring to see formed in men and women that are listed here. That all of us should strive to be good teachers. Not all of us are going to be called to teach Bible studies or to preach messages, but we should all be students of the scriptures to come to a good understanding of what they say, to be familiar with sound doctrine so as we are ready to teach others as we are equipped to do so. We're to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. We're to have the ability to resist sin in our passions that war within us to a greater degree as God aids us and helps us by his Spirit. We're to be sound in our faith, steadfast. We're to grow in love. We're to abstain from certain ungodly behaviors, behaviors such as being slanderers or gossip. God cares deeply about our speech, particularly how we speak about one another and of him. We're not to be addicted to earthly things. We have listed here slaves to much wine, We're to teach our children. We're to be good husbands and good wives. We're to be self-controlled, pure in our thoughts and our actions. We're to work diligently with the responsibilities that God has laid upon us, both in our workplace, but also our household, in our ministries, and our local churches. We're to be kind to one another, loving towards one another. We're to submit to one another as we all submit to the Lord. To be self-controlled, to model good works, so that as we grow in our integrity and dignity and our speech, no one will be able to bring a charge against us. 
We're to all personally grow in these things, that this is God's desire for your life. You have a responsibility for these things. But this responsibility is not just an individual responsibility to do these things. One of the purposes for us to grow in our godliness, to be sanctified, made more like Jesus, so that we can be living examples to others. Your responsibility to grow in your relationship with the Lord is not yours alone. It doesn't revolve around you, but it's one of the ways in which you serve the church. You have a responsibility to grow in the Lord, and that responsibility is directly related to how you relate to other saints and their ability to follow the Lord as well. Our men in our study, and I don't have this reference listed, but our men in our study have given consideration to what the church is, and we looked at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, that as we gather together, we're to stir one another up to faith and good works. Part of that is by living the life that God desires you to live and modeling that good life and encouraging and teaching others in the faith to do the same. We need examples. And if you look back on your own life, you could probably point to an example that greatly impacted you, someone whom you respected, someone who exhibited to a certain degree these qualities, whether it was an older man in the faith that modeled this to you or whether it was an an older woman Maybe it wasn't someone who was technically older than you, but knew more about the Lord, was, was older spiritually, more mature spiritually, that not only taught you these things, but modeled these things for you. We learn not just through the audible teaching, but also through the lived experience of those around us. And so what I want some of us in this room to hear today is I want you to recognize this responsibility that God has placed upon you, that this is how you can serve this local church, to grow in godliness, but as you grow in godliness, to teach that, to impart that to others here in the faith as well. Again, God does not just want you to be filled up as you gather with his people. He wants to use you. He has prepared good works for you to walk in, and some of those good works are finding people to encourage in the faith. Share from your experience, share from your own devotion, not because you're perfect, but because you have a perfect Savior who is doing a great work in your life. I see too many people with the wrong attitude, having been in ministry for so long, seeing how people circulate from church to church. You hear things such as, I'm just not being fed there. I'm not being filled up there. I'm just not growing here. Well, let me encourage you that Part of your growth is not just you being the one that's being poured into, but you pouring yourself into others. Some of the most exponential growth that I personally experienced in my own walk was not just from people pouring into me, but when God put it upon my heart to pour into other people, seeing their growth and having my growth be affected as a result of that. And so we have a responsibility. The older saints have a responsibility to the younger, both men and women. And this was modeled in the life of Paul that I, wanna, I want us to see reflected in, in some of his writing, particularly to Timothy, that Paul had a mentoring relationship with a young man in the faith. His name was Timothy. You may be familiar with him as we have First and Second Timothy recorded in Scripture, but I want you to see how Paul speaks of Timothy and his relationship in just a few of these verses. Second Timothy 1 Uh, Verse 2, Paul is writing, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, 
my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And then lastly, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So here we have a model of of what is written in some ways, instructions given in Titus, but also here as an example in 2 Timothy, as we see Paul, an older, wiser man in the faith, pouring out his life into this young man, as a father would his own son, that he spoke with deep affection and care and took responsibility as a father would for a child. But it's worth pointing out that while we have a unique picture of this relationship in the epistle uh, of First and Second Timothy, Paul was a father to many. Right? This is something that in a worldly sense, if we're a father to many, that may be frowned upon. Um, but with regards to Paul, that he had children, that he was responsible all across ancient Israel. He took this responsibility of being an older saint who poured into the younger saints so as to see them grow in their relationship with the Lord very seriously. One could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul writes to, to this church in Corinth, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Much of that epistle of 1 Corinthians is Paul as a father feeling a responsibility to correct his wayward children who had fallen into difficult times and difficult choices and difficult sin. That there was a responsibility that he felt as an older saint to pour into, to guide, to have a discipleship relationship with those who were younger. Maybe a bit of a charged illustration, but... In some ways, I almost want us to adopt this mentality of, of what many of us may have seen at one point or another. Um, this may be dating myself for some of these in the room, but there was a time in which uh, TV had commercials. Unfortunately, that time appears to be coming back with all of our streaming services, but usually this was the normal thing. And I could remember uh, certain commercials of, of uh, orphan children all across the world who needed your help. With a dollar a day, you could you know, sustain them with food and things like that. And there was these moving images of, of poverty and suffering and kind of that slow motion B-roll. And one could not help but be moved with compassion, seeing the great need that these people have physically and being moved through the compassion to want to meet that need. We so easily only see the external needs at times, but there are great and deep needs here within this body people who need you to walk alongside them, who may be starving spiritually, who may be impoverished spiritually. And just through some regular intentional effort on your part, an hour a day, if I can even make the comparison, a gathering a week, a prayer every morning and evening, we could meet a lot of the needs that God has here in this body do the ministry that we have with one another, with the greater responsibility falling on those who have walked longer with the Lord, who've been through many of these trials and seen God's faithfulness so that we can encourage those who are experiencing those trials for the first time even now. See the need and walk in faithfulness to serve the Lord as you serve his people. 
So we've touched on the responsibility of the older that they have to the younger, but there is a role in which younger saints are to honor and to serve older saints as well, that, that this relationship in many ways goes both ways. And so we're called to honor the younger saints, showing honor to the older saints. I look at passages like 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That there ought to be in some ways a level of love and honor and respect for those who have more experience with the Lord than us. And this is not meant to be a hierarchy of sorts, but there is in some ways an acknowledgement that there oftentimes is youthful passion, which in many ways is can be naive and often leads us to make foolish decisions. That as those who are not only younger in life, but younger in the faith, we should seek wisdom. We should remain humble and to seek guidance. There's great wisdom to be had and we honor not only God, but these older saints when we, when we seek wisdom from them. And there are great consequences when we seek to reject their wisdom or not seek it in the first place altogether. I want to read an extended passage a little bit longer from, from 1 Kings that gives just a really good illustration for this kind of mistake. Not honoring those who, who indeed do have wisdom through their life experience, through their walk with the Lord, and choosing instead to follow our own youthful, sinful desires and passions and ideas, thinking that we have all the answers by ourselves. This passage is 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. A little bit of context. King Solomon has died. His son, Rehoboam, has now come to the throne, and he is now having to make some of his first choices as a new ruler over the people of Israel. And he is given counsel both by older men and younger men and chooses to go with the younger men's counsel, much to his own detriment. So follow along with me on the screen, 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. The people speak to the king. He says, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come to me again. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then you will be your they will be your servants forever. Verse 8, But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took the counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So notice some of the curious details there. That he not only rejects the counsel of older what appears to be wiser men who had served with his father only to take counsel from his peers, those who had grown up with him, who had no knowledge beyond his own knowledge of his own. 
and he chose to go with that knowledge. As a result, he responds harshly to God's people. God's people rebel, and ultimately the kingdom is divided in two forever. So we have this temptation, being young and exuberant, that everything old is bad and everything new is good. But friends, we have an old historic faith. There is wisdom that comes from experience, from God's word. To grow in wisdom requires experience and to seek that wisdom out as much as we are able through older saints is much encouraged in a good biblical principle. In some ways, as we lead and build some of the foundations of the church, that's much of what we're doing as we're reconnecting in some ways with historic practices of the church, going back to maybe more of a formal order of service and various things that we do, that there's, there's wisdom in these things, I believe. And I want to practice that together as we live with one another. I want to be quick personally. Quite honestly, as, as someone who's known the Lord for a long time, but as one or two have even called me this morning, I'm still a young man. And to seek wisdom from those who have life experience and a vibrant, growing relationship with the Lord. I hope is that as our church grows together, as we engage with Bible study and fellowship, that it would be indeed, as it already is, a diverse group of people that we are learning from one another and serving one another in this regard. So we're to honor one another, not rebuking a younger person, an older person, but also one of the ways in which younger people in the faith can honor and serve the Lord as we serve one another is by doing real acts of service for those who have gone before us. First Timothy 5, chapter 3 talks about this, that we are to honor widows who are truly widows. Some parameters were put in place on how to care for, for the elderly and the needy. And within the early church, Timothy uh, chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than six years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having re a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, let her be cared for by the church. So older saints, as you persist in the faith, as you model godly behavior, those who are younger in the faith, one of the expressions of thanks is to use maybe some of the physical abilities that we have that may no longer be present within some in the body to serve and to show honor and respect with one another. And that is a powerful encouragement as we serve one another, but that is a powerful testimony to the world that as we have fellowship that bridges decades of life, and as we go out of our way to love one another and serve one another, that that will be seen as an unusual thing. And people will be drawn into why? Why is it that you love each other in this way? And it will provide opportunity for us to share the love of Christ that has transformed all of us more into his image. So as I bring some concluding thoughts to this concept of multi-generational relationships as we survey the scripture, let me just put kind of one final point on this, that age in many ways is just a number. Um, that as we're dealing with these things, we often have to take into account the, the spiritual reality. Uh, we speak as Christians from what Scripture says of being born again. We, this comes from John chapter 3, 
Verse 3, as Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we can be faced with this unusual reality of someone who is advanced in years, but young in Christ. Similarly, you could have someone be young in years, but mature in Christ. This was a description given in many ways of Timothy. Timothy, a young pastor, a young man serving a congregation likely with people who were much older in life than he was. But Paul nevertheless encouraged him in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Timothy, teach those who may be older than you physically in the same way that I've instructed people to teach Uh, as we looked at earlier in Titus, through your good behavior, through your good conduct. That you could be, in many ways, an infant in the faith, but advanced in years and vice versa. 1 Peter 2, um, chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So let this, in some ways, inform but not limit how we live this out. Our desire should be to be diverse, to be multi-generational, to seek wisdom, to serve and love one another, but all the while not saying that because I'm older, you must listen, or because I'm younger, I do not know uh, my left from my right or whatever it may be. And so as means of application, we want to be a multi-generational church with multi-generation relationships because God desires all to be saved. This is true of people of all walks of life. God desires people of different economic backgrounds, different race backgrounds, different gender, and yes, different ages. And we as a church should want to reach all people with the gospel. Not a church just for the older or the younger or the in-between. We also want to be a church to reflect the community that we live in. I talked about this, that Liberty Lake is, as I understand it, an already diverse community. We want to receive the blessing that comes from having multiple generations fellowshipping with one another. The wisdom, the experience, the vitality. And we want our vibrant community to be a shining light to the lost world of how the gospel unites people. And as strange as it may seem, age is one of the biggest dividing factors with regards to who we socialize with. There are not very many contexts out in the world in which a young man in his 20s would have deep and abiding regular fellowship with someone in their 80s and for that to be normal and effective. And so we shine a great light on God's transforming power when we live this out. So this leads in, in some ways, to our next core value, One of the best ways to have a multi-generational church with multi-generational relationships is to raise up future generations in the faith. And so how do we do that? Should we focus our attention on having a new and vibrant youth program or kids program? Not opposed to the idea. Could use some help if anybody's interested in that. But having had much of my ministry experience in youth ministry, spending over 10 years doing youth ministry. In fact, I'm afraid to actually really count how many years I I spent in youth ministry. But I can tell you right now that believing that having a vibrant children's ministry or youth ministry 
will create what we're talking about here of having a multi-generational church in some ways is a false hope. This is something that needs to be a core value, not just of a small segment or, or a duty placed upon one person or a team of people. This needs to be a value shared amongst the church. This needs to be the value that is in our households of raising up others in the faith, in the faith particularly our own children. And so I feel a deep and abiding responsibility to encourage and equip parents to be all the more involved in the spiritual discipleship of their children. I've known many parents who have grown embittered towards the church because they went to church every Sunday. Their kids were involved in, in Sunday school, in youth groups, in different activities. And for whatever reason, they went in their young adult years and strayed from the faith. And there is a, sometimes a growing bitterness on the parts of the parents of, I trusted you with my children and you failed and now their life is a mess. God's design, quite honestly, is for parents to be the primary influencers of their faith. It's not to the exclusion of what church and ministry and pastors and youth pastors can do, but statistically speaking, as research has been done, faith is imparted from parents, that you have the most authoritative voice in your child's life whether you recognize it or not, whether they're willing to admit it or not. And so using what God has given us, how he has organized the family to best serve you is where we feel called to go. And so what do we mean by family worship? Let me read this core value for you. Our desire is to see whole families thrive in their walk with God. The best way that we believe to do this is through something I call family worship. We believe that families should worship God every day at home by reading the Bible, praying and singing together. We also believe that God has given parents the primary role of passing along their faith to their kids and helping them grow in their faith as well. The ministries of our church are meant to help and equip parents, not replace them with regards to discipling their children. One of the verses we have in here is Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up your child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs are full of wisdom. They're not guaranteed promises, but these things prove true time and time again. Going back to Timothy, we see in his life not just the mentorship of Paul, but the impact of generational faithfulness of parents who discipled their kids, who instructed them in the faith, in the fruit that was brought about in this young man's life. Paul, in speaking of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. One of the things that I want some of you in this room to be encouraged by is that the group of people that reaches more people for Christ year after year after year after year is not youth pastors. It's not children's directors. It's actually moms. More moms reach people for Christ than any other group of people, statistically speaking. We see this as an example in, in Timothy, that the faith of his grandmother and his mother was imparted unto him. And how was it imparted? Well, Paul sheds a little more light in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says, And how you from childhood have been acquainted with the sacred writings, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How was the faith imparted from these women, his grandmother and his mother? It was through likely the daily study and teaching of scripture within the home, that even from childhood, he was well acquainted with these things that were able to make him wise for salvation. God has laid out some practical steps for us to do this within our own home. I want to read uh, briefly Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Uh, Much of the Old Testament speaks of passing our faith on from generation to generation. Deuteronomy is a great example of this in chapter 6. Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is a core foundational text for what we believe and understand as Christians. But look and read on in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. One of the best things that you can do to instruct your household in the faith, whether you have small children, not so small children, grown children, is to talk about your faith with them. How many of you, when you leave on a Sunday morning, spend much time talking about what was preached or taught or learned when you go out to lunch or when you spend the afternoon together? Or instead, do you talk about what you always talk about. Part of imparting our faith is, yes, reading the scriptures together, but spending the time to to make our faith real and important by letting it saturate and fill our conversations with one another. That we're to talk about it as we sit, according to this passage, as we walk, as we lie down, as we rise. We're to, we're to write them down. We're to put up signs, right? All of us are heading to Hobby Lobby to grab some of these signs after this. No. But the idea is, it doesn't take much. We sometimes make this responsibility harder, more difficult, greater than what it is. It can simply be reading the scriptures daily, out loud, not necessarily required to do any added or extraordinary Bible study on top of that. Read it and talk about it. Go to church and talk about it. Make it a priority, make it real. And I would, if I could, lay maybe a greater sense of responsibility on on heads of household, fathers, as we're instructed in passages in the New Testament. I'll cover one of the ones I have listed here, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land But verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not that wives, mothers, you have no role to play in this. Clearly you do, and that role is often blessed by God as we looked at Timothy and his example. But I also want fathers to feel that responsibility as heads of household, that you set the tone, you set the pace, and you work together as a family, to have this as a priority, to worship God in your home, to impart your faith onto your children in real and meaningful ways, to not put all of your 
hope and trust in what can be done in a youth ministry or a children's ministry, but knowing that by God's design, the home is where these things ought to be taught first and most often. And that is in many ways the most effective place for this to take place. As we connect with this too, it's not just through the instruction, it's also through the lived experience. One of the reasons why it's so hard to teach these things at home is because our kids see us every day. They're the first ones to know when we're living hypocritically. But don't let that be a barrier. Let that be motivation. As we go back to Titus and we look at the character that we're all to have forming in one another, the responsibility we have to each grow in Christ, let your children see you grow in Christ. Be transparent and open about that. Admit your faults, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, and point them towards Jesus. And so this last bit of application that I have as it relates to to family worship is the real simple principle of read, pray, sing. There's always more we can do, yes, but if we do just this, it'll have a profound impact on your household. What do I mean by read? As a family, read every day your Bible together out loud. Find a time. If it's the morning and you can gather everybody up as a whole family, whether your kids are young or whether they're old, read the scriptures together. Make that a value that you have. It doesn't have to be a formal Bible study. You don't have to have discussion questions. You don't have to have comment. It's just you together as a family coming under the reading of God's word. If there's a time in the week in which you can do a Bible study and you feel called to do that, equipped to do that, then yes, amen, do that. But at the very least, read God's word. It's okay to do this in an age-appropriate way. If you have small children, I can recommend some wonderful resources, some wonderful children's Bibles that quite honestly might encourage you as an adult more than you realize in your understanding of Scripture when it comes to some of the big picture items. But as you're able and as your kids are able to to read God's word as we have it here in front of us. Secondly, pray. Pray every day with your kids. Model it. Take turns doing it. Go back and forth, but show them that you are devoted to the Lord in prayer and that you are teaching them both by example and also instruction to pray. And lastly, one that we don't often think about, but I think is just as important, Sing. Sing. When you come to church, mothers, fathers, sing. Sing lustfully, passionately the praises to the Lord. Model what it is to worship God with your voice. Take that into your home. It's okay to sing with your children. In fact, it's encouraged. Well, again, whether they're young or whether they're old, we don't sing because we're great singers. We sing because we have a great God. And what you'll be doing is you'll be teaching your kids, your household, that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. And so we have resources, we have recommendations to help you in each of these, each of these areas, should you seek to, to look into them more. But one resource that we've talked about already, that I talk about every week, that has all three of these elements, is that New City Catechism. It's small, it's simple, but it's effective. You could use that resource to read your question and answer every day, read the accompanying verses, read some of the commentary that is available in there as well. Use that as a Bible study for your family. 
There are prayers that are listed or written out for you to follow and to pray out of as well. And yes, there are songs, albeit children's songs, but songs nonetheless to accompany each one of those questions as well. And so all of this is only going to be possible to be a multi-generational church, multi-generational relationships, having the value of family worship is if we all seek to do it together. It's not easy. It's not something that we build overnight in many ways to, to change culture, to, to build core values. It takes time, but it's time worth investing because eventually it will be our culture. It will be our values and it will be something that happens more naturally and produces all the more fruit in our lives. So I would ask that as members of our church, as attenders of our church, would you pray for these things? And would you seek to be involved in these things? Would you buy into these values all the more and help build and edify this local church of Harvest Liberty Lake Church? Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we are saved because of the great work of Christ. Jesus, we acknowledge you as the chief shepherd of our church who is leading and guiding and directing. Lord, I take great heart in your words from the scripture that you will build your church. And so we ask that you would do that, that you would build this church to reflect your priorities, to reflect what your desire is for what this church should look like, that it would consist of all the people from all the walks of life, all the backgrounds, all the demographics, Lord, so as to bring you the most glory and honor. Lord, we know that one day all people will confess that you are Lord. Lord, that as we look forward to being with you forever in heaven, that we will be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses singing praises to your name. And if we would just take in how diverse of a group that is, we would be moved in awe and wonder that you truly are the Savior of the world. Lord, build this church as you see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.